0: You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV.
1: Hi, welcome to Blogging Heads TV. This is Culturally Determined. I'm your host, RA Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Joanna Mang. Uh, Joanna, could you introduce yourself?
0: Hi, I'm Joanna. Um, I am an adjunct instructor of English at a community college and a stay-at-home mom.
1: Uh, thanks for coming back on. Uh, you were on, I guess it was a little over a year ago uh, for a, <laughs> an entertaining episode where we talked about um, a piece that you wrote on the uh, late-lamented website, The Outline, which sadly went on business very early on in the pandemic, and uh, which was about Shakespeare. Is that, is that the name of the website?
0: Well, it started as Shakespeare's Sister, the, the blog, and then they changed it to Shakespeare. But yeah, right. about the Otts about Bush-era blogging uh, blogging world. The liberal blogosphere,
1: specifically, yeah, yeah. and the, the lost world of of
0: rad lib, rad lib Bush era blogs.
1: Yeah, every and, once
0: in a while you see something on Twitter where it's like, "This is a rad fem, and she has gotten lost on her way back to 2008, and uh, or I should say 2007, because Obama's election really killed it."
1: That's interesting. You know, th- okay, we're, this is totally getting off on a sidetrack, but just today, someone sent a, a link. That was a screen grab from the um, I, okay. So I made a joke on Twitter that now would be a good time for the uh, the whitey tape to finally come out. The the uh, fabled and non-existent tape where Michelle Obama supposedly said the word whitey, uh, okay. and and this was like a big online rumor that this tape existed and someone had it and it was going to drop, you know, in in like October two thousand eight. And of course, this never existed. and It was was t- just a, a totally. Made up thing, perhaps prefiguring many of later, you know, internet hoaxes. And then someone uh, sent a tweet to me that was a screen grab of the the uh, blogger gateway pundit saying uh, that the blogger powerline claims to have it, and it's like coming out any day now. So all that was false. And then I was like, powerline, well, I haven't thought about powerline in a long time. So, but that guy is still around, John Hinder- <laughs> Hinderaker. And, but then it just was so sad to think that gateway pundit, you know, was. Um, you know, it it's just become even more powerful. Twelve years later, when he, you know he was, he should, should have been like driven out of town on a rail or something. But now, like Trump retweets gateway pundit conspiracy theories. It's just like we've just gone even further down the crazy rabbit hole. And
0: I never, I never read any of that stuff. I was more uh, like proto anti Bush memes and people arguing about TV shows. Like I tried to keep it light. You know, getting out a flame war about veganism—you know that sort of thing—like angry but fun.
1: You know, right. No
0: conspiracy theories.
1: Have you Have you seen the Twitter account that retweets memes from anti-Bush memes from like circa two thousand five? No, but I bet they're really cringy. Yeah, they are. I'll. I'll okay, so I'll it links to the piece that we mentioned and um, to that Remember, Twitter account will be will be we're below.
0: Things like Chimpy McFlight Suit, all the like overly written.
1: I yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff like that, and yeah, it, it's, it's funny to look back <laughs> on that era of a simpler time. Um, okay, but wh- what are we actually going to talk about today, uh, after all that, is um, mainly um, Alex Trebek, who passed away earlier this week, and I thought of you um, because you were a Jeopardy! contestant, and mm-hmm. you won an episode of Jeopardy!
0: champion
1: i mean, you're your champion, and I. And so you're the only person I know who has that. Who at least I know who's been on my show before. So I reached out to you if you wanted to come out and talk about that and uh, experience, and, and um, and also Trebek and his you know legacy and so forth. So how did? I mean, you, I'm sure you've told the, the story hundreds of times, but how did you like come to become a Jeopardy contestant?
0: Uh, well, they started doing. You used to have to like I don't know in the '90s, early 2000s, you'd have to go in person and take the test. And they would drive that bus around. They would show it at the end of the episodes, like drive it around the country. People would go and they'd take the test there. Um, but they they moved it online. In the past, you know, I don't know, 10 years. So they would just do a scheduled test every few months or quarterly or something. And so you would log on. And people on Facebook were saying, oh, you know, there's a test at this time. And so I logged on and did it. And you're just typing in. It's not multiple choice or anything. You're just typing in answers. They're coming up really fast. You type them in, they go away. And then they never give you a score. And so they say, if you passed it, um, we'll email you for a tryout. And so a couple months later, they emailed me and said, you know, come for a tryout in L.A. So I drove up to L.A. because I live in San Diego um, and did the tryout at a hotel. You know, and they have you in a big room and they you're taking this, the. Sh- the they give you a sheet of paper and you're writing all your answers. And then they have you come up to the front and play a mock game. Um, just like at a you know banquet table and you've got the little, but the, the real buzzer and um, you know, you play a mock game with people and they tell you, you know, you know, project your voice, stand up straight. You know, they're trying to like help you be telegenic. Like they're, they're trying to help you at every step of the way, the Jeopardy people are trying to help you get on the show. Uh-huh. Like, you're so nice, but it's fine. It was funny how some people like are still like muttering or they're saying, um, or they're kind of speaking into their chest and it's like, well, they're not going to pick you to be on TV to, if you're doing that, no matter how, even if you aced the test, like you still have to work on TV. And so I don't remember who gave me this advice, but they were like, you know, try to be sort of like up and bouncy, um, and so I wore like a magenta top and I was, you know, wore a lot of makeup and I was kind of like, you know, like, and I got one wrong. I was like, oh, you know, and, <laughs> but they liked me. And it, so part of it is not just, not just doing well on the test, but do they like you? Do they want you to, do they think you'll look, look good on TV as a person? Because some people don't. Do well on TV. They sort of, you know, um, right. so right. then, but then they also, they never, at the end of that, they don't tell you how you did on your test. They don't tell you how you, te- whether they liked you. Um, and then you go home and then they're like, you know, we have 18 months. Uh, if you, if you made the cut, you go into the contestant pool for 18 months so we have 18 months to call you. Wow. So then some number of months later, I don't know, maybe four or five months, they called me and said, we're gonna have you come in and play the show, but because I was a local, they have two local alternates, so people who are within driving reasonable driving distance of LA. So I went and didn't get on. Sat there all day. Had a very nice lunch at the Sony Studios. They were all everyone was very nice, but didn't get on the show, which is just you know nobody passed out or barked, and so I didn't get on. <laughs> so then I had to come back like three months later. I was like, oh well, they're never gonna bring me back because you know this is just my luck has run out. Uh-huh. Uh, but the good thing about them bringing me back was I was totally at ease because the first time I was so nervous I was like the very you know knife's edge of a panic attack the whole time because you know the studio is very it's very big it's cavernous it's like a you know it's a, a sound stage it's like an airplane hangar big purple lights it's freezing cold um and I was just like mm-hmm, you know was a little mouse um uh, but then when I came back I- time I was like, oh I know all of this. Like I filled out that form, I've met that lady, you know, I've done makeup, all this stuff that I had never done before. Right. Um, and so I think I was just more at ease. Um and uh um so that was how that's how you, you get on. Um yeah. so were, a- some tryouts.
1: So were you always a trivia person? And had you been, like, a longtime fan of the show? Or what, Why? Yeah. What like, drove you to want to even be on to begin with?
0: I don't know. I don't think I even really wanted to be on that badly until I got on, and then I realized how badly I wanted to. I just did it because my brother was like, hey, do the tryout. and I, Or do the, do the online test. And I was like, okay. Like, it was like taking a, you know, what Disney princess are you quiz. It was like, you just do it. <laughs> um, but uh, growing up my mom and my brother and I would play, we would keep score every night. So we would, you know, and we would compete against each other. Oh, wow. and, it was, and as my brother and I got older, we would be better. My mom, you know, better than my mom at it. Hold on. I have to get my cat out of this room. She's so annoying. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: uh, the cat was, had some cameo appearances behind you before. So I think... she's, she's just jealous of, uh,
0: of, of, uh, video chatting. Uh, <laughs> Um, We would keep score. And then we would play a game where, you know how before the commercial break, before final, they give you the category but not the question? Right. So our game was can you guess the answer without seeing the question? Or can Mm. you guess the question without seeing the answer? So before you see the clue, can you guess? And I've done it. Everyone will do it a couple times if you do it long enough. Like one time it was Famous Homes and I got Monticello, you know. It's purely for like bragging rights and everything. Just like the joy of being right, you know. Um, so we did that a lot. And um, then in high school, the uh, I, I always liked memorizing things. And one of my teachers asked me to be in the academic decathlon team. And I said – I went to one meeting and I said no uh, because they were nerds. And I thought that <laughs> it would damage – I thought it would damage my cred such as it was, which probably wasn't – nobody would have cared. But it's the kind of thing you think when you're 16. Um, and it was the same reason I quit orchestra. I was like, I can't take these nerds. Like, I, I know I'm like this, but I don't like to be reminded of it. Uh-huh. Um, and should have stuck with that. Should have got. Should have done the academic decathlon because I think I honestly would have loved it. Um, <laughs> so uh, now I do bar trivia, which is the last refuge of the trivia scoundrel in their 30s, right? <laughs>
1: There's nothing
0: more sad than people who are really into bar trivia. And I'm totally one of them. (laughs)
1: Um, And had you had you had experience with the buzzer before? Like, had you ever done a quiz bowl type thing where you're buzzing in?
0: No, and I, I, you can watch in my first episode, I totally, just, I totally crap out my first uh, half of my episode because I was ringing in and it was doing it too late or I wasn't doing it right and they had to give me a little tutorial at the break. But oh, wow. it actually saved me because I was ringing in on questions I did not know the answer to just because I was excited. And so by the second half, I had zero um, and people on Twitter were laughing at me because I, I read the tweets later. Um, also because my, my, my employment was listed as a nanny from San Diego, which is like, you know, in terms of like impressive jobs is not, um, and so I think it was, I just looked sort of like, I didn't know, I didn't belong there and I didn't know what I was doing, Uh but you only need to get a few right in, uh, the second half to come from behind.
1: Wow. Okay. So you, so you had, you had zero after the, after single jeopardy and you won that, yes. that's that's pretty incredible.
0: Um, and after a, a, a bad and ill informed bet in final, where I bet ten thousand dollars, which apparently you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to bet an odd number. There are all these rules. I went on the Reddit page where people were like, "This woman doesn't know what she's doing," and I'm like, "Correct, absolutely. <laughs> I don't. I didn't study the betting thing. I didn't study any of the strategies. I'm not James Holzhauer. You know, I just wanna, I just wanted to go answer questions quickly. Like that's that's the fun of it to me. Like trying to game it." Um, I know that's how you make millions of dollars and that's great, but I just don't, that's not, I don't have that in me. You know, I was like 10,000. That's a, that's a nice round number, which it turns out exactly what you're not supposed to do.
1: Okay. Yeah. I, I guess I, I, I was never hardcore enough to cotton onto those tricks. I, I know though sometimes they would, they'd often bet like 999 or something so that they thinking they would get $1 <laughs> over or something like that. Based on what the other people
0: have. I was just like, well if I bet ten thousand and I get it right, then I'll have more money than the other people if they bet ten thousand. I don't know.
1: So how, how much did you end up with?
0: Uh for my first game, twenty-four thousand, and then I got two thousand for getting second place in my second game. Okay, so... the, chick, the chick who won just mopped the floor with me.
1: <laughs> okay, so that's that's pre- that's pretty good. I mean twenty four thousand. That's 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 a solid winning. Um okay, so what yeah. was it okay, well so uh uh, the, the occasion of, of this is is uh the death of Alex trebek I think he was eighty years old um, what was it like uh what was he like what was it like interacting with him and what, what what was your anecdote your funny personal anecdote that you that you told
0: well the thing that that Jeopardy is well known for and everyone who's ever been on the show i 've never heard any contestants say anything different is that it 's a well oiled machine and their whole thing is being totally um like totally honest after the whole quiz show scandals of the fifties jeopardy was based on everything is very honest so there's a total separation between the contestants and alex you would never meet him before the game you barely talk to him He, he comes next to you and at your podium and he takes a picture and he's very polite and he says hello um but he's not you're not getting into long conversations with him because that would compromise the integrity of the game and so From the time when you walk in, all the contestant coordinators and the producers, you know, they're just, they're really enthusiastic, they're really friendly and they they guide you through the whole process with filling out all the forms and everything and the confidentiality stuff and doing all the makeup and they're giving you snacks in the green room and it's just such a comfortable process that it people remember it so fondly in part not just because they got to be on tv or be on the show but because the whole thing is so welcoming like you can tell these people just love nerds and they (laughs) love coming in and they love your silly little stories they laugh at them even though they're all pathetic Um, and I think Alex likes that too. He likes, he likes smart people and he likes weird people, you know, like he might make fun of you, but he loves it. Uh So my, my anecdote was that I met my husband in the Craigslist personal section, which is, I mean, you can't get much more pathetic than that. (laughs) Um, and then my second anecdote for my second game was that I made a, that I was a big Ken Jennings fan and that I made a t-shirt with his face on it. That um, actually have the shirt
1: right here. <laughs> wow. Okay. So uh, stay tuned, um, uh, listeners. You're not going to get get this, I suppose. But uh, but viewers, uh, the shirt yeah. will be on very shortly.
0: It's just a picture of Alex Trebek, and it says the Ken Dolls. Uh-huh. Uh, the Ken Dolls was just me and Brandi Jensen. Uh, it was a two woman club, but. <laughs> You know, we're, we could we could do a club, and I I did little hearts around him while he's buzzing in, uh-huh. and um, <laughs> I let me like show the shirt. I brought the shirt with me, and they let me show it on TV. Um, and Ken tweeted something like, you know, checking the stalker laws in my area or something. Um, <laughs> um, I, you know, he's he's so humble, but he's also rude and funny, um, and I also just. Think Mormons are hilarious, so you know, big Ken fan.
1: So. Um, okay, so so you have brief. Okay, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about the you're interacting with um, with Trebek briefly because of the uh, 50s Squish Show scandals yes. immortalized in the film Quisho. Show, and also reading the <laughs> obituary. The like the germ of the idea of Jeopardy came from those scandals because the contestants were given you know were given the answers uh, illegally or whatever, uh, uh, without telling the audience. And then the guy who created the show was Murg Griffin, right? Um, okay. Craig Jeopardy, he like was, he or his wife like mused, uh, like, what if they, you know, what if you had to know the question instead of the answer or something like that? Uh, oh, I never heard
0: that. Yeah.
1: That was in the New York times. Obit of, of, um, of Trebek. And
0: well, game shows are also very strict now with when you're going on, you're not allowed to tell anyone you're going to be on. So you couldn't tweet, you will never see any way to tweet I'm going to be on Jeopardy. They're only allowed to tweet when their episode's going to air. They'll tell you my episode's airing whatever date. They cannot tell you the outcome. Um, and they're really strict about it. So if you like if you were um, if I had if they had called me and said you're going to you're going to be on the show in March and I had put on Facebook that I was going to be on it and they caught me, I would be, you know, the invitation would be rescinded because yeah, they don't want to risk um, even the appearance of people having, like, an in on information.
1: Right, yeah. It um...
0: makes the game so fun, I think, because you know that it's real, and th- that comes through in the show, you know? That these people have no idea what the questions are going to be. All you know are the general trends, and it's all coming spontaneously right then. Right. Because what makes it watch?
1: So what, okay, so so let's talk a little bit about Trebek and, you know, there, there was, after he passed away, um, you know, there was kind of an outpouring of love for him online. And, I mean, it kind of, you know, he's like the man with all the answers and at this time of, you know, global uncertainty, you know, it's like we're losing the guy who knew all the answers. Of course, he didn't actually know the answers. So he just had them written on, like, cards or, or whatever. But he, you know, had he had this sense of authority that was, like uh kind and stern at the same time and uh you know he never got too emotional uh compared with our current authority figure in america like very different um you know he uh yeah he, he just maybe part i mean he was canadian maybe that has something to do with sort of the uh a kind of sense of remove or something or i mean he didn't show a ton of emotion and we right. um, had, had a little bit of mystique about him. It's like, we don't know much about this
0: guy. Not that the information isn't out there. It's just that he never made himself the... He's not the main character of Jeopardy. You know, the contestants are. He's just there keeping everything steady. Uh-huh. Um, and in a way that... Just sort of a weird magic that made people trust him. But also, I mean, like, there's a reason one of the reasons why people people love jeopardy because it's predictable it's always the same it's fast they're not wasting your time it's why trivia people it's why jeopardy is the the top of the game show you know like if you've been on jeopardy then that's you know that's it it's what people are working up to because there's no bs I mean, like, I can't even watch an episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with all of, like, the hemming and the, ha- and the drama and the artificial, you know, and they're, they're drawing out one answer. It's like, you know, they're giving you multiple choice. It's like, no, get it done. Ask, a question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. Like, let's go, you know? Yeah, um, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: I, being on that would be excruciating, even worse than watching it.
1: You, you know, I, I never thought about this before, but it's, you, you know, you could make a sort of argument that there's a sign of, of the culture, of the change in the culture of, you know, like, the a game show like Jeopardy! where you know, very smart people are answering, you know, like, 150 questions or something uh, in rapid fire, and then Who Be A Millionaire? where it starts off with these easy questions, and, you know, Regis... A different cut we lost him this year also. a different kind of host, much more playful and you know impish and, and so forth. but it's, yeah, it's a lot, it was a lot more. They focused on the, the drama and all this they, they would drag it out where they were like cutting to the reaction shots, of the family members and the audience and all this bullshit. And thing,
0: knowing things is not dramatic. People who are good at trivia have a certain kind of brain, a certain kind of personality that just retains a lot of bullshit, and then is, <laughs> is fast at the recall right you have to do two things you have to remember a lot of bullshit and be able to very quickly say it out loud it's not a dramatic thing it's not like if somebody asks me something and i'm trying to remember i'm not ooh hmm, well one time you know like i'm not recalling like stories from my past it's it's fast right, right you either have that or you don't and it's fun to watch people who have that perform it like it's like that's after i was on i was like that was my one stupid human trick <laughs> it's like that's the one thing I can do, you know. I can't. Right. I've never done a cartwheel. Um, I, you know, I, there's so many. I, I can't do anything except for that one thing. I can do this one thing. It's very specific. And Jeopardy is the only place you can showcase that talent. The only time in your whole life, which is why people love so much that they've been on it because it was like that was so fun doing that one thing I'm good at. <laughs> that's chance to do
1: right, and and so if you compared. To Jeopardy to Millionaire. Millionaire was kind of a hybrid reality show game show. And, and so when Millionaire was a phenomenon in the late 90s, it, w- it was like suddenly there were all these other game shows and, and like The Weakest Link and all these other ones in prime time suddenly. And, and not, m- many of them did not really stay in the culture, but um, it was like a transition point. And then a couple of years later was like Survivor. And, um, and then like reality TV was off the races and consumed the entire culture and led mm-hmm. to President Trump. So it, it's like a hinge point um, where, yeah, we we like that you can answer 15 questions, but also it's like, you know, you're going, you know, ripping your hair out and all this dramatic bullshit that people. It's, just you know.
0: not, it's not natural. And I. I guess I wouldn't if you had if you had pitched Millionaire or Weakest Lake to me. I would have said that'll never work because the kind of people who want to watch trivia want to watch somebody know trivia the way trivia people know trivia, which is off the cuff. Um, but I would have been wrong about that because apparently people love watching somebody take five minutes to know the largest lake
1: in South America or whatever. Like, I
0: don't get it, but I you know. That's why I'm not rich.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you got you got twenty five thousand um, dollars. So, what is actually? What's you know? Do they send you a check? How does that work?
0: Thousand dollars. Yes, they send you a check for the entire amount because it's taxed as income. So it's your job to report it. Um, so it's not taxed like a windfall. Like I have a friend who won a bunch of money on prices, right? And they just take, you know, a third or whatever off the top before they give you the money. And, um, ABC is different. They just send you the whole check and it's your responsibility. So I took it to the bank and the teller was all excited because she had to get the manager. And the manager was like, I'm going to photocopy this for you. So you have, I have that like somewhere. Uh Um, She was telling everybody, look, it's a (laughs) check. Um, (laughs) And then they just deposit it and then you pay it, you know, you pay your taxes at the end of the year. So you just report it.
1: Yeah, um, That's interesting. So um, it,
0: that's being better because you keep more of it, especially if like me at the time, you know, um, I was married and we weren't, but we weren't making much money at all. And so I think I kept more of it than I would have on another game show.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um. It's, considered, it's considered earnings because I earned it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting I mean yeah maybe because Price is Right is more of a game closer to gambling or something it's like a game of chance in, I in some aspects I, I the only thing I know about the payouts on that show is that supposedly at least maybe back in the 90s at the end they would offer you either all of the prizes you won or a cash equivalent and most people just took the cash equivalent because they don't actually want a speedboat or whatever um,
0: what are you going to do with it yeah
1: yeah so um, but then yeah, I,
0: but I, I bought this this lovely bed <laughs> and uh, that, that you know a dog is currently enjoying oh, so, oh great yeah. Um, yeah it was great Couldn't, can't say can't say enough about getting $26,000 in a single day it was my <laughs> it was my one like well at the time I was like this is my Mitt Romney moment this is what it feels like to just make over $20,000 in 30 minutes <laughs>
1: <And> um...
0: <laughs> so it was, was very topical in 2012
1: Oh so okay so you you were on 8 years ago um yeah and uh, okay so one so you know uh he, so he uh, Trebek hosted the show I think 36 or 37 years um and so he was so he was like the Guinness World Record hol- holder for hosting either a game show or a single TV show for the longest and um Apparently, he hosted every single episode, except they did like an April Fool's where he swapped with Pat Sajak or something. But other than that, he hosted every single episode. Um, uh-huh. This is all in the New York Times obit. But, um, you know, but, uh, he, you know, Trebek announced like a year and a half ago that he had stage four cancer. And so there, it, this wasn't a super surprise when it happened. And uh, presumably the producers have been thinking for a while about a replacement anyway, because he may have just retired because he's 80 years old. Do you have any thoughts on who could possibly replace him?
0: I think Ken would be great. I think he has that um, mix of um, humility and of, like, panache and performance in him. and I mean, it's why he was fun to watch. Um, and I think that... I think he would really fit into that. I don't know if that's the kind of job he would want, but um, he was he's the only person that I can think of.
1: Um, he, he, I mean, he definitely is... A- Sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh, I was going to say, as long as it's not James Corden. Like, I know, like, if anyone drops a dime, James Corden's there. But, like, can we not? Like, like
1: <laughs> Yeah, I, I, he is kind of an annoying. It's going to horrible who you're tired of. Um, yeah, I mean, the, um, I mean, the last time I, I consistently watched the show was when Jennings was on his run. How, when, when was that? Was that, like, 2006 or so?
0: No, I don't think it was that long ago, but I... I Oh, you know what? Maybe it was.
1: I feel like it was shortly after I graduated college, but I. I um, but anyway, I mean, he has a very different. I mean, Trebek had this kind of cool, like like this cool, removed, somewhat above it all, aura to him, and whereas like Ken is much more earnest, nerdy. You know, he right. actually does know all the facts. He's not being he handed them on a card. So it would be just a different kind of. It kind would, of thing. and it
0: should be that you know you can't replace Trebek. He was he was his own person. He was singular. There was a reason why everybody liked him as that character because he was so convincing that was really it seemed like that was who he was but he was also mysterious and you know and funny you know you don't realize on the show as much how funny he is although he sometimes gets the little the little you know comments or digs at people, little faces. But when you're watching, if you go watch a taping or something, or if you did, he would go to the audience during the breaks and talk to them and, you know, tell little anecdotes and stuff. And, you know, it was, he was actually much funnier than he comes off on on the show. And then when you're chatting with him after the game, you know, he's bantering with people that like you can tell that he really loves that. Like a teacher. I mean, it reminds me of teaching. Like when I'm teaching, I feel like I'm so up and I'm on, you know, I'm just totally there. And I love that there are people in front of me and that we're talking and that I never know what they're going to say. Like he has that. He, he's like a teacher. You know, he has that vibe of like your high
1: school's coolest, but also somewhat scary teacher. Uh huh. You know, I I've I noticed that you're you, you're speaking about him in the present tense. Um, he passed away, you know, a couple of days ago. But it's, you know, he's been in the national consciousness for almost you know four decades, and you you met him in real life. Um, Will so he it,
0: ever really die, though?
1: Well, do they, I mean, do they rerun old episodes like on the game show network or something? I mean, maybe he'll live forever in syndication. How- um, I mean, I know
0: they've been, I don't watch them on um, Netflix, but I know they have been on there.
1: Yeah, oh, that's true. And people, especially this year, people have been saying that they've been watching old episodes of, of Jeopardy on Netflix just as a way to chill out during uh, these stressful my times. my
0: episodes, because they only show like tournament of champions and people who are you know much better than me and stuff. <laughs> that's the other sad thing about, about going on Jeopardy and only winning zero to a few games is they never let you come back. Mm. you're one and done. You only get to go back if you win a bunch and then you do tournament of, cha- tournament, of cha- tournament of Champions when it's really, really hard. So I'm like, I would have loved to go back, but there are so many people who want to do it that, you know, it wouldn't be fair.
1: That's funny. It's like, uh, you, know, it's, you know, it's like you went to Narnia and then, like, you are kicked out after your one, uh, your it's, one time.
0: It's truly sad and absolutely true.
1: Um, so I, I briefly want to tell, I have a Jeopardy story much less exciting than yours. But um, when I was, I think, a junior 2004 or so, um, College Jeopardy came to my campus. And so they did a...
0: um... Of course they came to your campus. Yeah, so
1: I went to Yale. Everyone watching the show probably knows by now. um...
0: They didn't come to San Diego State, I'll tell you that.
1: (laughs) And so they had just a thing, like they set up a tent, and it was like, you could go and fill out it was a, it was application, on pa- application, it was like a little quiz on paper, and so I, you know, I fan- I used to watch Jeopardy in middle school and high school and stuff, so I fancied myself a, you know, a trivia knower, and so I did it, and so I, I I passed that level and went on to the next round, which was somewhat similar to what you described, it was in a hotel, ballroom, and you know, a bunch of people were there, and they had like a big screen set up, and then we all came- there was about 50 people or so, and then we came- they gave us the buzzers and stuff, and so I was super nervous, and I think I I got like one question, right. One question wrong or something before they rotated me out. And so obviously I didn't, I didn't get on. Um, and so they picked this guy who, um, who, you know, it was was almost like a, it was like, like an automatic slot like you know it was it was like a buy or something like you know someone was directly from yale was directly routed into the show so it was, it was this one guy and then they um like the it's a very quick process it's like the next day they were doing the filming it was in the gymnasium and you could just like get a free ticket so i went with my friends and so we watched like and they recorded the episodes just one after another So we, we were there for like three episodes and you know, it was an hour and a half or something and it, it was the episode that this guy was on um the you know the, the The Yale student, so you know, he's wearing the Yale sweatshirt, um, and I was, of course, thinking like, you know, like that could have been me up there if I had just done a little bit better. And then um, one of the categories was English literature, and I was an English major. And I was like, I, I would have slaughtered this. Would it have Been Shakespeare though, wouldn't that have been torture? Well, every que- all five questions were about the novels of Thomas Hardy, and I had not ever read a Thomas I ha- ha- Hardy novel.
0: Love Hardy.
1: Well, when I was 21 years old, I had never read a Thomas Hardy novel. And at age 37, no. I've read one Thomas Hardy novel. A
0: dream category.
1: And so I would have been embarrassed in front of, you know, 3,000 students and the viewership nation if I had gone 0 for 5, the, the hometown of the cat-
0: kid. Uh, fair category, because nobody likes Thomas Hardy. Like, maybe people like one or two questions worth of Thomas Hardy, but not five. Like, that's just mean.
1: Yeah, someone, yeah, it was weird. And, like, I didn't even, it was, like, you know, it was, like, the mayor of Casterbridge. And I was, like, I never even heard of these things. And so I, I was just, like, thank God it wasn't me because I would have looked like a fool and, like, never would have been able to live it down if the English major couldn't get us question. The mayor of
0: Casterbridge rules. The mayor of Casterbridge, is, it's a very light read. It's, like, mayor of Casterbridge is, <laughs> like, curling up by a fire in the late fall drinking hot chocolate sort of novel like every winter i'm like it's getting cold should i read some thomas Hardy? (laughs)
1: um yeah there is a coziness to it what is the now i'm the the, what is the one the return of the native is the only one that that i read um but that did not inspire me to to read the other ones and actually someone a previous guest actually uh i think on air Juliet Lapidos uh, told me avoid *Tess of the Dubervilles. It's a, it's an interminable read, but maybe you would you would disagree with that one. Um, I mean, they're just
0: so dramatic. It's that like late nineteenth century muscular prose sort of thing, but English version, not American. American is actually muscular. The English is sort of just you know it's it's dramatic, but it's like you know everyone is a sinner and they just trip over their own dicks until they die of disease. You know, it's just like it it's so over the top. It's just funny. You
1: know, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very yeah the melodrama and yeah Um maybe I'll you know there's there's a lot of shit I still have to read but um maybe I'll, I'll
0: no definitely not trying to talk you into reading it no don't, don't.
1: <laughs>
0: only you know it's a very small number of people that really would enjoy
1: that sort of thing yeah and it was I mean it's it's not it, I mean it's interesting that they asked that of college students because I, I don't think Hardy is like really huge on the like college english curriculum not, circa yeah. you know 2004.
0: i was until grad school and that was only one i feel like it's not a big college read yeah i with you <laughs> um my first, first question i got right on my first game my, my first ever jeopardy question i answered was about um the vis- uh, visit from the goon squad that book which i had actually read and loved and i was like yeah <laughs> like that one felt sort of random. I know it was a really popular book, but it was like at the time I was like only I know this.
1: Yeah, there's a yeah, I, from when you watch the show sometimes they'll they'll ask a question and it's like somehow right up your alley or some particular bit of knowledge that you know and and like if no especially if you know it and no one on the show knows it then you really there's a real sense of satisfaction of like it's
0: what it's what trivia people love i mean like you just love the feeling of being right and being the only person who knows something it's not like a great personality trait i don't think it's like a good thing i i honestly don't think it's it's probably not very healthy um, to be obsessed with being right and like have that joy in just being correct about something. Um, yeah. I don't think, I don't know where it comes from. Well, I mean my mother, you know, but I mean like, <laughs> I, I don't know like if it's been bad for me in my life or if I have ever alienated people through my desire for it. Like I don't think that I'm totally overbearing. I think I, I, I like to think I know when to shut my mouth and chill. Um, but it's, it's in me the desire to know. It's the the teacher pick me. I'm ever so smart, you yeah. know. From the Simpsons, like that. I absolutely have that. Like one of the things drives one thing drives me insane. Like if somebody on Twitter will ask a question, like uh, with a definitive answer, and then people have already answered it in the thread, I'm like, no, but I knew it, and it was such a good question, you know. Okay, oh, um, hey,
1: that's interesting. I do so. I do not, I do not have that urge, and maybe that's why I didn't make it onto <laughs> the show itself because I was like. As a kid, I was very into sort of, like, particular trivia, and, like, so I was really into baseball when I was six and seven years old, and I used to memorize the statistics, and so I used to be able to, like, tell you the top ten all-time home run, you know, hitters, and, like, and so forth in every category, and I don't even know why I I was so into it like this.
0: Did you, like, come into the kitchen when your parents
1: are trying to make dinner and tell them all these things? I don't know. I think I I just – I had this – Baseball almanac, I think that was called the baseball almanac, and I would just like pour over it over and over again. It had Nolan Ryan on the cover. I can still, it was this, these, this weird kind of brownish paper. I can still picture it perfectly. But yeah, and I, and then like as I got into other nerdy things like comic books. Um, at, my, in my childhood, I, like, I, would, I would, I would, I'll get into that kind of trivia, but
0: um, my son's yeah, like that with Pokemon cards, memorizing Pokemon abilities and the names and mm-hmm. all, which region they're from, and what they evolve into, and he'll come <laughs> and he'll start telling me about it, and I'm like, I. I mean, I don't know what you're talking
1: about. <laughs> talking about.
0: Um, I, I know the names of a few Pokemon now, and he'll be like, "Good job, mom, you got it." You know, <laughs> that is Charizard.
1: Oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> that's really cute. Um, you know, there's something. I mean, the 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 impulse to no know trivia is like, it's. So, I think it's somewhat different now that everyone has Google in their pocket. I like. I know maybe it used to be sort sure. of like a. It, you know, if you do part trivia, they make you be your phone away, but. It used to think, be like the, the encyclopedic knowledge in your head. It, it has less value now that any particular oh, question you could find well, out the answer instantaneously.
0: I mean, yes, you're, you're not going to be that. Well, isn't that why the Guinness Book of World Records was invented to solve bar arguments? I thought that was – I don't know if that's a rumor. If that's Is that true. why
1: it's Guinness because it's Guinness alcohol uh, sponsorship? Oh, I know I yet if that's true or not. It but
0: that. but um, I think that, yes, you could – here's something I've learned from teaching – you can at any time open up google or pull out your phone and pull up a factor or a word definition but people don't feel like doing that a lot of people don't feel like doing that they're like listen i got a lot of input i got the things that i'm into on the internet i don't need to be going to wikipedia and reading about this thing like and I respect that, that's fine. I mean, with my students, I'm like, you have to look up the words you don't know because that's how reading comprehension works. But I mean, like I get why you can't just be like, you have Google, why don't you just Google it? Well, they're Googling other things, they don't care. (laughs) Um, They're doing something, some new thing that I've never heard of before. Um, So uh, I think that just because everyone can look something up, people still really prize the idea that you just know something. Like in in my life, the way I've noticed people react to if somebody says like, oh, you know, what is the name of this? And, you know, ask Joanna. And if I know people are really impressed because <laughs> you didn't look it up. Anyone can look it up. But people are really impressed by the stupid human trick. Just like I'm really impressed when somebody can, you know, walk around on their hands. You know, like, that's amazing. I could never do that. I can't even do the monkey bars. My wrists are weak and sad, you know. So, like, there are things that people can do. Like, I'm really impressed by people who can curl their own hair. I can't curl my own hair, you know, or French braid their own hair. I'm like, wow, how did you do that? That's magic. That's what knowing a bunch of garbage is (laughs) people. Uh It's the one thing that you can do that other people can't because their brains are busy doing the thing that they're good at, Uh you know. And you think about like the things that you bring, like I do, um, like I was pregnant when I filmed my shows and so many of my mom friends, like, I can't believe you did that pregnant because like you have the, you know, pregnancy brain. Have you heard of this? Where like pregnancy makes you kind of like spacey. Uh Um, but pregnancy brain only applies to like, you know, you pour yourself milk and then you put the cat, the milk back in the cabinet instead of the fridge. Like I've done that. I do that now, you know, like, forgetting where you're losing your keys and never finding them again. Like, uh, locking yourself out of your car, uh-huh. not leaving the house without a bra on, you know, like all of that stuff. Like I definitely do all those things, but I also remember exactly what I learned in 10th grade European history. You know, like there are different parts of your brain and one of them is running on pretty high function and the rest of it is just sort of like, you know, they're two, they're different capacities. Yeah. Um, and some people have better... More of that executive function where they're good at keeping everything in order, and uh, I would like to know the the relationship between Jeopardy contestants and like losing their keys and having spouses who are driven insane by them.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I guess kind of like the absent-minded professor is is a trope of you know, yeah, someone who is head in the clouds or or or, or thinking about you know doing math equations in their head and then walking in traffic or something like that. Um, are, are you? <laughs>
0: Math equations and like you know, doing very important science, discovering planets, things like that. No, I don't do
1: anything. Uh, Have you uh, heard of or read the um, graphic novel called All the Answers by Michael Cooperman or Cupperman?
0: No, never heard
1: of it. Oh, I recommend it to you and and viewers. So it's it's a it's a memoir. So this guy's father was one of the was on this show that was I think originally a radio show and then very early TV show. Uh, that was called like Quiz Kids or something. And it was these children and they're all from New York city and they were like geniuses supposedly and could do math equations instantly and knew a lot of trivia. So it was like a, one of the very earliest in the trivia genre. And, um, and so his father, you know, so his, and these kids became like um, nationally famous as in the way that Ken Jennings was. Um, and then they, they're like, and then World War and then, like America during World War II, when they were like going on tour selling war bonds and stuff, and and that. But then it's also about what happened like after the the show and the fame ended, and he was always like, "Hey, aren't you that quiz kid?" And mm-hmm. and had a very and had a troubled life um, uh, after that, and and then toward the end of his life, um, uh, had dementia or something or Alzheimer's, and so you know was losing all all this knowledge that he once had. Sure. <laughs> but it's very it's very interesting and it's it's you know it's it's a memoir that's told in a graphic novel form so i would, I would recommend that if you're having interest <laughs> in this stuff um well we can maybe hit one more topic but is there anything else you want to say about jeopardy or alex trebek rest in rest in peace um before we move on
0: no no i'll always treasure my framed photo which i keep downstairs on the bookshelf so if people come in and we're like is that all? Were you on Jeopardy? <laughs> <What? Was>
1: I... <laughs> How did I get there? <laughs> it used to be. It used to be your Twitter. Your Twitter avatar, wasn't it?
0: It was. I had to change it when I realized, like, I just don't really look like that anymore because, you know, I was thirty years old and you know, twenty nine. Twenty nine.
1: I think I actually once joked on Twitter it was like, "There's a certain type of person who, if they got on Jeopardy, would make their Twitter avatar their Jeopardy." you know, screenshot at a certain type of person who were, and those are the two type of people, or, or something like that. Although probably most people who get on Jeopardy would be very proud most of it. Most
0: people do, I think. And, like, maybe some people don't, you know, their looks don't change everything, or they don't want to be updated. I think I'm also, like, vain. I think it's, like, if I take a cute photo, I'm like, this needs to be my new profile pic. Like, <laughs> you know.
1: Um, okay, so let's – so the other topic – we wanted to discuss, I guess it, it, it's uh, also about TV, and it, it's about reality TV, and, you know... I love TV. <laughs> and so you proposed this, and I said, yes, let's talk about it, and that is a TV show, Vanderpump Rules, and we're also going to talk, at least very briefly, about a TV show that's also a reality show, a, a, a competitive show, Great British Bake Off, I think it has different titles, whether you're in America or it- the UK...
0: Great British Baking Show or Great British Bake Off, depending on whether it's UK or...
1: Right, or it's so GBBO, so G- G- B- B- Great British Bake Off, is the, um, yeah. is the acronym. And, and so they're uh, similar in some ways, very different in other ways. But okay, how would you describe Vanderpump Rules for someone who has never heard of it before?
0: Um, well, it's a, <clears throat> a spin off of what they did. And I remember the episode where they did this. There was an episode of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And uh, one of the housewives was a woman named Lisa Vanderpump, who's a restaurateur. She and her husband, Ken Todd, uh, start restaurants and run them and everything. And she has zillions of dollars. I don't know what her net worth is, but she lives in a castle that has its own name, you know. And she was at her restaurant, SIR, which is an acronym for Sexy Unique Restaurant. And they did something which I, have never, I had never seen on reality TV at the time, which is where they started with Lisa and her friend having, like, lunch or whatever in her restaurant. And then they moved through the restaurant to the back of where the employees were and just started following the employees around and introducing them, like, with their little – you know, when the name appears with the little sparkle, you know. And I'm like, well, What what – why are we following this waitress now? This was Beverly Hills' Real Housewives. And now – you tr- You think you can trick me into watching this new? I don't want to watch this new bullshit. Like I've signed on for Housewives. Um,
1: <laughs> so I think this is called I- a backdoor pilot in in the biz. It's kind of is like it- yeah. So like there's an episode of The Office where it's where, very D- sneaky. where it's all about Dwight uh, Dwight's farm and the main characters are not in it that much and they introduce like Dwight's like nephew or or niece or something and That's and funny. the show was never but the show was never picked up. So it's just, so that, but they kept as a regular episode of The Office. So. And, and and then on Vanderpump, they did this with this show, uh, Summer Rental or something?
0: Summer, summer
1: House. Yeah, they yeah, did they, the, the same thing.
0: When it happened again, you know, then I was like, oh, they're doing that thing. And then I stopped watching. I didn't watch the second half of the episode because I'm like, I don't care about this Summer House. And yeah, that
1: fun. was, that when I saw that one, so I watched Vanderpump, though. I had I never actually watched any of the Real Housewives of any city or whatever. Um, But when they did that switch over to the, it turns out you're actually watching an episode of Summer House, I was like. This is a beta switch. This is such a bullshit. I can't believe it. Like, they tricked me. You
0: know, it's it's one of those things where I'm sure whoever came up with it is very smart in terms of TV production and good for them, but it's annoying. It's, like, it's too clever. It, it's annoying, you know? So, anyway, that's Vanderpump. I didn't start watching until a couple years ago. Um, I started in like, you know, season six or something. So I recently decided I ran out of, um, English like murder mysteries and stuff to watch. So I was like, I'm going to go back to the beginning of Vanderpump and get the prequel story, the backs, you know, story on everything. And so I started watching and I'm getting all these reveals, like, Tom and Kristen were in a relationship they lived together you know all these characters that you know and hate or love have been introduced so Vanderpump Rules to answer a question that I did not answer is a show about people living in West Hollywood who work at Lisa Vanderpump's restaurants and she starts opening up more restaurants and then they work at those restaurants and then it's just about them and their their drama and they're all horrible people Right? Um, right. They don't have consciences so they just hurt each other and scream at each other they're mean mean to each other. There's, there's a couple on there, Tom and Katie, who I am fascinated with how mean they are to each other. Like they say things to each other that if my husband said to me, or if I said to him, we would be, it would be like, should we, do we, we get divorced now? Right. Like there's no (laughs) this. Right. Um, Um, and they're all like that. And then they cry and they blame each other. But much like Lisa Vanderpump herself, they never take responsibility for their actions. They never truly say, you know, I acted that way because... I have a deep and gaping hole inside of me that can nothing can fill, and I'm really sorry. But the thing, Lisa is the queen of that show, and she's never wrong. I think that's was in her contract that she signed with Bravo. Like, I'll do this show with all these idiots who work for me, but I have to be the queen. Yeah,
1: I wonder so, if, she, if she has like sort of a final edit approval or something absolutely. for her scenes. Yeah. She's a-
0: she and Ken are producers and she is her image is totally managed on there in terms of she comes off the best she always comes off smelling like you know roses like her house villa rosa you know that's her that's her oh, yeah, signature yeah, right. and and she she all in her um interview she's always got the little bon mot you know her little remarks and her little british yeah you she, know, so she's
1: british um And yeah, so she, she rules, she's not actually in the show that much, you know, she's probably in in it like 5 or 10% of the time. So the way I would...
0: When they need someone to comment on how stupid other people are being. Yeah, if they need people to settle a
1: dispute, someone to settle a dispute, just kind of this King Solomon, you know, dealing out justice and...
0: But much like every other character on that show, she can be really mean... And hurtful and cutting and dismissive of people. But she never accepts that that's what she's like. She thinks she's always right. And then everyone just ends up agreeing with her. Um, So she's really exactly like all of the other characters, which is kind of what makes the show entertaining, because you're kind of as the viewer, you're kind of laughing at it. You're like, Lisa, you're full of shit. (laughs) You're just a petty person who likes to start drama, and that's why you're on this show, and that's why you were a housewife. But this show is predicated on this idea that she's this wise, cultured English woman, when she's not at all. And her husband is a total thug. He's got this, like, Michael Brown sort of, like, you know, when he gets gets really pissed off, like, he sounds like he's killed a guy, or he's hired someone to kill a guy. Because he's got this sort of quiet, oh, I'm just here holding a pet dog, I follow my wife around and sort of shuffle around with my tiny dog. Yeah, he,
1: he seems almost uh, catatonic or something most of the time. He, he has this very thick, uh, maybe he is from some like London slum or something, and he has this thick accent. Sometimes they subtitle what he says because he can't understand what he's saying. He, he has this dog who's, uh, at least sometimes the dog is also catatonic as well and... Um,
0: and wearing a little like prince outfit, you it's know. very like, <laughs> Person, not a prince itself. But I mean like and then if he gets pissed off he you know gets right in somebody's face he said something of James Kennedy one time it was like it was some like this like british threat that i had never heard before god i wish i'd written it down <laughs> um it'll come to me but it's like he sounds like a guy who grew up rough and would definitely knife you if he has to um but not in a it's, all, it's funny because of who he is, but, like, he's not a nice – they're not nice
1: people. And they think they are. They think they're wonderful people because they rescue dogs. <laughs> right, and she supports this dog rescue charity. Okay, so, so back up just a little bit. So I generally, you know, reality TV oh, took sure, t- t-
0: you I'll knock you Spark out. I'm like, <laughs> out? What
1: I actually that- – yeah, I think I remember that one. Yeah, Okay. And and James Kennedy is one of the few is also British anyway. It's too we can't explain all this for people who don't know it. But I would just say, so I I'm not a reality TV watcher in general. And I like I said maybe I, I've watched like half of a Real Housewives episode total. But I saw a lot of people on Twitter talking about about Vanderpump and particularly one of them was Brandy Jensen. So the second reference for shout out Brandy Jensen uh, who's been on the <laughs> show in the past. And and people were like saying no this was really good and and especially the the thing that was blowing up at that time was. The episode where uh, it's not about the pasta, which if you haven't seen the show, we won't even explain it. But that was like became a meme and stuff. And so I started watching it and, and got roped in. And I think what's so the way I descri- would describe the show is it's about a group of attractive sociopaths who work in a restaurant. And so since it's this you know, this classic like Los Angeles thing. Everyone who works at this restaurant came there because they wanted to be an actor or a model or a singer or something. And when the show starts, a lot of them are models.
0: Yes, yeah, so everyone's
1: very good looking, and um, as the
0: show goes on, they you know kind of age out of it, and also the drinking. I mean, the drinking yeah, makes they, them yeah. sort of puffy because the amount they drink on that show is unbelievable. And the one thing the show never addresses is drugs. Like they'll talk about pot, but I mean, like it's Californian; it's legal now. I'm sorry, I said pot. I know it's weed. Adam makes fun of my husband makes fun of me. Like it's legal now. You don't don't say pot. It's not the '60s, but like.
1: Um, yeah, so well, the whole thing with the pasta was that the fan theory was that they're talking about cocaine and pasta was the code word for cocaine when they were on, when really they were being filmed. Dish
0: pasta. I think that Stassi is the kind of person where if Raquel got up from the table and, and if, if Stassi said, can I have a bite of your pasta? And Raquel said, yes, I think Stassi would eat the whole bowl of it just because she doesn't think Raquel is a real person because they all think Raquel is so because Raquel is not very smart.
1: A lot but, of them okay, are, Raquel's a minor character. I, I only vaguely remember her.
0: She's girlfriend. Okay, yeah. is the smartest one. Raquel's the least smart. And Stasi, even though she knows she's the Alpha Dog, she still has to lord it over other people. So I definitely think it was actual noodles that she ate. But they're all clearly on cocaine because like you're watching it and you're like, these people are my age. They're 37 years old. And they're drinking tequila shots all afternoon all night they're staying up till four in the morning and then they're getting up and going like hang gliding or whatever bravo is making them do and then they're drinking again it's like i would i would die i would be in the hospital on an iv drip and they just keep going and going and going and going and they show them like kind of hungover but then they show them up and it's like okay clearly they're Like they're, you know, getting bumped up by whatever substances, but they never address it. There's one time on the show where Tom Sandoval makes a joke like, oh, unfortunately for Jax, it's always allergy season, you know, like it was one little throwaway thing. But I think on Bravo, they're just like, we are a family network or whatever. We can't (laughs) address it. But it's one of those. Things where it's like the thing about reality sh- TV being obviously like unrealistic and scripted. This whole show is predicated on the idea that people in their mid 30s can drink like a 19 year old on the worst bender of their life and still function and live just from drinking a smoothie the next day and it'll drive you insane you're like how many drugs are you on like it's fun to watch it with peep other people because you're like you're like got your hands in your hair like how are they not dead like that is so much to drinking tequila straight out of the bottle like tom schwartz is he's got his mouth around the bottle of casamigos like it's unbelievable okay so,
1: so okay so there's yeah there, there's an iconic scene in the first season i think so okay so Uh, there's this guy named Jax he's kind of the main character at the beginning and he is sort of a he's the most like perfectly sociopathic person I've ever seen portrayed on screen and he um there's an iconic scene where he downs in like 15 seconds six shots of tequila like in a row I think it was
0: more than six it might have been seven or eight but yes
1: and so he's like a bartender at this bar and he's kind of a washed up Model actor, though clearly he like never had any real acting ability. Kind of like a little over the hill, and then as the years go on, um, you know he he's getting puffier as with all this drinking and drugs and just the natural aging process. But but I think okay. So what I what I found interesting about the show to begin with was, um, you know it's a spinoff of Real Housewives, and the conceit of Real Housewives is these people are all rich and they lead these fabulous lives and they're always wearing like fancy clothes and going to like, you know crazy events and doing all this stuff. And then you had these people who did legitimately seem to be sort of like middle to lower middle class. Like they're, you know, they're bartenders and servers and waitresses and, and uh, hostesses at this restaurant. And they're probably in the beginning, they were probably getting paid, you know, maybe like a couple thousand dollars per episode to be on the show. Um, But basically they were more or less normal people, even though they were sociopaths, they were economically more or less normal. And you kind of saw their, their lives in the, in the way they acted. As the show went on, I assume they negotiated better rates, and it turns out that at a certain point they kind of stopped actually working at the restaurant because what would be the point? So they just show up there and like shoot some scenes pretending to be a bartender or whatever, you. and really they're like you know going and doing other stuff. But um, so it became less interesting as time went on, I think, because of that aspect where they, and also there's there's this self reflective aspect to the show because and this is not original thought I read this online somewhere. Um, these are the people who grew up watching reality television and now they're on reality television. So the Real Housewives, you know, didn't grow up watching reality TV, but Stasi grew up watching reality TV and she knows what to do to become the star of the show and how to get attention and stuff. And so, you know, reality... uh,
0: people, their, their relationships are based on it. Like when James Kennedy starts dating Kristen, it's because he wanted to be on the show and he was like, I'm going to pick this girl who's unattached and who's emotionally volatile enough to date a guy like me. And they date for a year and then he's on the show he establishes himself, he acts out, he acts ridiculous when he's on camera and he makes everyone mad and it becomes a source of, and and Lala too, I mean, Lala's dating this rich guy, she's got enough money um, but she's a hostess at the restaurant so that she can be on the show. I mean, it's so clearly, so you have to watch them go through this little dance on the show where they're like, she goes to Lisa and she's like, I could really use the money to have like my own spending money, I could really use this job. It's like, a hostess at a restaurant, and what could you possibly be making? Ten dollars an hour, at the very most. Like you drive a Range Rover, it shows your Range Rover on your show. You have Louboutins, but right, she's but, a- okay,
1: but it, but in the beginning so in the beginning, the first couple seasons, it's more real, like in the economics of their lives, it's
0: fair. Yeah. and then it becomes
1: more just, ridiculous just
0: quickly age out of it and they they do the drama of firing somebody and having them beg for their job back as though they need the money and lisa has to act like she knows they need the money and she's doing them a favor like giving uh john mellencamp's son a job as a as a, a busser a busboy Like, he comes, he's like, I I really like a job. It's like, he thought he was going to be on the cast, and then he never shows up again. I guess he, maybe he turned out to have no personality. Like, it's so funny watching these people who, like, clearly are set for life, or at least could get a really good job in the record industry or whatever, have to be like, well, I really want to be on reality TV, so I'm going to go beg this English lady that I can pick up dirty
1: dishes. (laughs) Right, okay, yeah, so, so there's, like, two groups. There's the people who somehow, you know, they... They just want to be on TV, basically. And then there's the people who are these sort of, like, somewhat washed up. People who came to LA to become stars, they never became stars. If the show wasn't happening, they would be working in a restaurant or something. And then, but they also happen to be amazing sociopaths and, like, very compelling people to watch perform, all sorts of crazy things. So I I would recommend the show, at least the first you know, four you or five seasons.
0: People pretend to be waitresses and bartenders. Like, you know, they're going there and they're like, okay, I have to do this one shift, half a shift a week because I'm on camera. And you're watching them like pretend to like, like they're at the serving station and they're just standing there having a 10 minute conversation that, you know, they had to like cut and start over like, Oh, we got to get the blocking and the lighting and everything. Like, but and then they're like, at the end, they're like, Oh, I got to go back to my table. It's like, your table's been waiting there 15 minutes for their menus. Like, no, we know that that's not true, but they're pretend, they're acting. It's so funny. Yeah, and,
1: and the show is, I mean, the show is in on the joke. And one of the ways they do it is that they show the so it's a real restaurant, and they show the guys who work in the kitchen, and they all speak Spanish, and so they'll be subtitled, and they'll be saying things like "Look at this bitch" or something like like this. <laughs> and they show that rarely. It's not like Statler or Waldorf or something, but like you know, it, it's it's in it's in on the joke basically. Have you so have you um, living living uh, near Los Angeles? Have you ever? gone to sir or wanted to go sir
0: i refuse to go to any of those restaurants because i know it's it's like it's like bravo disneyland right like the if you look in the background of the shots you can see like the people are like looking around or like they'll show jack's bartending and there's like the pans over and there's like three women my mom's age taking videos of them on their iphones well i mean
1: there's a camera crew walking through the restaurant so either you can pretend that they're not there or you can be like hey what's going on there's a camera but you know but you're in sir for a reason you know it's not the food
0: Lisa has this thing – this sounds really bitchy, but it's like Lisa has this thing that, like, oh, sir, is like this upscale sort of hip, sexy, unique restaurant experience. Okay, it looks like a dump, first of all. They've got, like – you're mixing shabby chic with, like, purple velvet plush. It doesn't work. And everybody in there looks like they're on vacation from Ohio and they wanted to go to the Lisa Vanderpump restaurant. Like, it doesn't – it's not – it's not the thing that she says it is. It's just people trying to participate in that experience. It's that – most Photographed Barn in America thing. It's like, it only is because you said that, and now everybody goes and photographs it because it's the Most Photographed Barn in America. That was in a book or something. But anyway... No, like,
1: that's interesting. And, and, and there's a parallel to Trump and the Apprentice of you know, creating, creating the, the reality you know, was there a successful restaurant in the year 2005 or something? Who knows? Like, obviously it kept on going, but like now it's way more successful because they pretended it was really successful and a cool place to go. So people did go there in the same way that Trump pretended he was a brilliant businessman who could make all these I, great decisions. And, and that's
0: and- all the money? Yeah, that's it's, it's exactly like that. And so I'm like, okay, because my, my friends and I last year, you know, we took a little trip to LA, do a little girls weekend thing. And one of my friends was like, oh, we got to go to all the Vanderpump restaurants. And I'm like, okay, but here's my question. Are we going because – we want to go there, or are we going to have the experience of having been in a Vanderpump restaurant, at which point we're just sitting there waiting for something Vanderpumpy to happen, and it's not going to because they're not filming, and it's just a restaurant, and we don't even know if it's any good, and it probably isn't because it doesn't have to be because people are going to go there even if the food sucks, which I've heard that it does because it's not about the food. It's about the – It's not
1: about the pasta. I mean, yeah, there's, there's no incentive for them to have good food at this point. I mean, but it's kind of like – you know, when but I it, when I was watching like, Seinfeld yeah, in the 90s, I couldn't go to Monks; it didn't exist. But you can actually go to because it's a reality TV show. There is a real restaurant, and you can go there.
0: So depressing, though, like the idea of going and sitting at at Villa Blanca or Tom is so depressing to me because it's like. We're only there because we saw it on TV and we're not going to have anywhere near the experience we have watching it on TV because watching it on TV, you're watching assholes be mean to each other and you're experiencing the dramatic irony of watching someone ruin their life without knowing what's happening to them. And that's really fun. I probably rather not a good restaurant. So what we did that weekend, I talked them out of it, and we did the Asian food tour of LA, and we had Korean barbecue, we had Thai, we had dumplings, it was amazing, we had sushi, and it was all, like, LA has fantastic food. It's like, LA is ugly and it sucks, but the food is amazing. Mm-hmm. So that weekend when we did not go to West Hollywood and go to Vince Vanderpump's stupid
1: restaurant. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, would you recommend people watch this show after we've been like ragging on it for, for 30 it's minutes?
0: It's so fun. No, it's the most fun. You can't not have opinions about it too. Like you could be watching it sort of in the background while someone else is watching it and you'd be like, Oh, that bitch again. What is she doing? You know, like you can't, you can't not. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, like I said, I, I, I kind of fell out of it, and I didn't watch the most recent season. And then there were they got kind of, uh, uh, ca- uh, you know, side casualties of the Black Lives Matter movement because some uh, some of the cast members, including the main ones, Stasi Kirsten, had like pulled this ridiculous racist stunt at, oh. a couple of years ago, and it got dredged up again, and so they got fired. Who knows what yep. they'll do now? Um, but
0: not surprising, by the way, not surprising that they have racial sort of issues. Yeah. It was a really white cast anyway, it's something you notice pretty fast. Like they'll have a black member on, they sort of leave, they're always the side sort of and, and not just black, but like in LA, which is such a diverse city, you know, in terms of like Latino, Asian, you know, South Asian, all white. Right. And right. that's it's something that they never addressed and I know you can just tell what the people are like. You know, you I'm,
1: sure, I'm sure there's, there's a cultural studies dissertation to be written on you know, racial critical racial analysis of Vanderpump Rules. Um, and... I do it;
0: just don't have the time.
1: <laughs> okay, so let's just very briefly. I just want to bring up this other show. We mentioned it: Great British Bake Off, another reality show. This one is a contest, but it really is. I mean, I Vanderpump, I think, is the is sort of the, as good as that version of reality genre could be. Um, and I think Great British Bake Off is is kind of like as good as sort of the reality competition or, co- or at least cooking competition show could be. And probably most people have heard at this point. It's on it's a BBC show. I think it actually switched to Channel Four or something, one of not one of the public channels. And they they've changed the host a couple of times, but it's 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 a it's a baking show. It's amateur bakers in Britain and they assemble in this tent and um and you know are given challenges and it's kind of the same thing every week and it and but it's it's just such a like deeply and pleasantly enjoyable show and I've described it as like televised Ativan, like you just watch it and you chill out, even though they're, they're rushing around and like are worried that they're you know, their th- red is going to collapse or whatever or they're screwing up somehow the stakes are pretty low and everyone so everyone is very friendly, that's part of it like it's not a backstabbing thing uh, and... Not,
0: because there's no incentive to backstab, they actually help each other
1: Yes, okay so here Okay. So you give your reaction to the show, then I'll give my theory about why the show...
0: It's successful. Why, so, uh, why it's so why successful? I mean, people love. I mean, you can practically smell the cinnamon coming off of it. You know, it's just like a warm. It's like a pair of warm socks and a Yankee candle. You know, it's just it's comforting. It's fun to watch around the holidays. You know, you're all cozy. In my house, we call it the cake show. It's what my son <laughs> called it when he was like three. Um, my husband, a bit, he was a amateur baker. Watches it like it's competitive sports. He doesn't oh, wow. watch. Sports watches baking, Bake Off, and oh, no. he yells at the contestants like, oh, she's over
1: that dough, you know? <laughs> oh, so he's like uh, a Paul Hollywood uh, type? Uh, Yeah, although he
0: has his issues with Paul. <laughs> um, He really liked Mary Berry when she was
1: on. Right, so Paul Hollywood is the only host, just host-slash-judge, who has been consistent through, like, the eight or nine seasons of the show, and all the other ones have, have circled through. Uh, but he's sort of the mean judge, but he's not as mean as, like, Simon Cowell was on you
0: know, he, yeah, um, it's still a gentle Idol. Sort,
1: of,
0: sort of mean. I mean, he he's not looking to dig to take digs at people. He's just honest. He's just very particular. Um, maybe almost like a like an Alex Trebek sort of character, where he he's got white hair. He's a little bit of a silver fox. He knows what he thinks is good, and he'll give you praise when you earn it. And if yes. not, he'll give you a little a little look. Um, and but he's he's fun to watch. He's got you know he's got. Something
1: about him. Um, yeah, he's a compelling guy, and he so he, he's kind of no nonsense. He doesn't sugarcoat, no pun intended, whatever the things he's saying. <laughs> no, whereas no, you, no. the the woman who's who's the other, you know, the other judge is often kinder in in the feedback. Well, he'll just be like, "You failed here" or something, or like the flavors just didn't work, or you know, he'll just say it like that.
0: They do a great job on Bake Off of creating an atmosphere of you know, with the, the gentle music and the way that they they shoot it where they go around and they give the backstory of the person. They show them kitchen cooking in their sort of humble, modest kitchen, and they tell about their families. Uh-huh. They do a really good job of getting a diverse cast that represents the diversity of people. Britain you know Um, and going into people's backgrounds like they'll have a woman who is of Lebanese ancestry and she'll use like Lebanese spices in her cake and they'll go into like why she's using this certain flavoring and you know I think it gives you a picture of a person that is so humanizing of them and so gentle towards them and humane it's kind it's just a kind way of presenting people we're like here are people who are pretty good at this thing that they do and and the, here's their family and here's them having a nice time and when they get booted off they're disappointed but they're like it was still a nice experience Like you get the sense they're having a nice time yeah i wonder if i haven't read anything about people who have been on the show but like it seems almost like a jeopardy experience where people are like well that was nice like i'm glad i did that and i got to show off you know my although harder than jeopardy i think because like getting like a 24 biscuits that are all the same size
1: the challenge the challenges especially as the seasons go on the challenges get increasingly insane and yeah so the people are very talented so i okay so and yeah so you mentioned the diversity so it's not just like i think it's interesting that there's like a regional diversity in the uk that we don't always see on like whatever uk stuff comes to america like The episode I just watched, uh, last night, they were talking, they were making Cornish pasties. There was someone from Cornwall, and he was like, I have to really represent Cornwall, or like everyone back home is gonna make fun of me if my Cornish pasties aren't great. And so, and like, there's, you know, people from Scotland, people from Wales you know and and the the regional things that like i just don't know a lot about um it's just interesting to see that and then yeah there's also like all you know the in the new season there's a, a woman who is of persian descent who wears a hijab and and uh you know it's it's not just a bunch of white <laughs> white people um and, and it's
0: not just a bunch of like hot people they look like people
1: there's you there's know. often el- there's often elderly people there's there's Other
0: people overweight people yes. people who are just like not cute like, they People just, who and, would never
1: be on American television, basically.
0: Yeah, and and it's and they're having such a good time, and they're really focused on something. It's it's so satisfying to watch someone be really good. It's just, you know it's like Project Runway. It's so satisfying to watch someone be really good at something that. They're creative with and that they love and watching them create something out of nothing like that was the joy of Project runway for me it's like these people are artists and they you give them a pile of stuff and they turn it into this beautiful gown. How did they do that you watch you watched every step, and you don't get it uh-huh. and that's it's that's why big off is fun um and with the the gentle um, the gentle atmosphere, it just makes it soothing.
1: Yeah. So the, so there's. It's,
0: like it's fun to watch people be really good at the one thing that they're really good at.
1: Yeah. You know. There's also okay. So there's that's there's fine. there's other ways. It's not like a traditional, at least American reality show. So there's no. Um, there's no, like, villain. They don't make people out to be total assholes, and so there's no Ambrosa who you're rooting against or something. Maybe there's people you don't like as much, but, like, everyone basically is presented as a nice person. You and... never
0: have enough reason, really, to dislike somebody that strongly.
1: Yeah, no one is secretly, like, stealing, like, throwing, switching the salt and the sugar or something so that their fellow contestant fails. Like, there's none of that backstabbing, backbiting stuff. Everyone seems to like each other. And um, so that is that is very different, and just the pleasantness of it, and they're all... Maybe the p- people in Britain are more polite. I, I, if that's a cr- true stereotype, I don't know. But okay, so my theory about the secret reason that the show works is that, um, is national health insurance. And so,
0: <laughs> of course it is.
1: Because the, um, so what's interesting, another thing that's different is that if this, if there was an American version of this show, the winner would get a million dollars or they would get like seed money to start their own bakery or whatever. But they emphasize that all these people are amateurs and they all have actual jobs. And in normal times, they return to their, they return to their homes and their jobs during the week and come to do this on the weekend. They filmed this new season during the pandemic. And so they had everyone like encamped at wherever they filmed it. So it was somewhat different. Um, It wasn't just like the weekend thing, but, but anyway, um, so there's no, there's no prize. There's no money prize in this. All it is, is that you get a little plate that says like a glass plate that says like British Bake off or something, and you're the champion. And then that's it. No million dollar, no million pound prize. And if there was an American version of this show, there would be people on there whose children have cancer and they need to win the money so that they can pay their medical bills. And this is not a problem in the UK. It's all, it's all paid for. And so the, people are not – there's like less – if they win or lose, it's essentially just for pride and they get like a blue ribbon essentially and that's it. And, and they always do these follow-ups and maybe a few people on the show have somehow translated it into like a further career as like a TV – you know, food person, but most of them just return to their regular lives and they keep on baking for fun and to make food for their loved ones. And so the stakes are so much lower and it's not like they really need that money because they're fine. And also like they have time to like have this, you know, this hobby that they've like become super good at, but is essentially like non-economic. And
0: yeah, there's no desperation of like, I have to win this so that I can have, you know, a job like, like on Project Runway where people are like, even if they have good jobs, like I have to win this so that I can take my career to the next level. It, they're careerists, you know. It's uh, maybe it's comforting to watch people who are just like, I don't, I don't need to win it, but wouldn't it be nice to do a really good job?
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and it's not even. I mean, I was thinking just now. It's almost, it, maybe it's a little bit like the original idea of the Olympics, where it's like non-professionals or something. But like, even if you. You know, it, but it's, it's like there's even fewer stakes and there's not, you know, if you win a gold medal, you can somehow translate that into like economic gains later on somehow through like endorsements or something. But like, yeah,
0: that'll be your whole life. I went to high school with a girl who won a gold medal our senior year and she's still, you know, living off that. <laughs> that way, she's just, you know, like once you retire from from your sport, you can still be a commentator, a coach, and you're always going to be Olympic gold medalist, whoever like that's. Like that's it, you know. You did it.
1: Yeah, um, and I and once if you win Great British Bake Off and are crowned the best amateur baker in the UK, then that's a point of pride. But yeah, I don't think that person yeah, in America, they, that person would open would start a business and be like selling their pastries and probably be like you know trying to rake in the millions. And you know these people just go back and they're like they have these very normal jobs and you know they just continue on with their work, lives. And
0: I think- I think it wouldn't work because the show isn't about elevating personalities. You don't get an Omarosa because that whole show was about making these people into heroes or villains or whatever. They're not making people into these big, larger-than-life characters. Um, it's more just hero cakes, you know, like right. they're working really hard to make these cakes. Oh, no, it collapsed. Ah, our collapsed, you know. Like that's not where the drama is. The drama is somewhere else, and it's fun to watch – the drama be in the craft of the thing
1: yeah and if there, you know it what if whenever something goes wrong with anyone's bake you know like if it, if it falls off the tray or something you're like oh no it, regardless of whether at least me regardless of whether i like that particular person or not whereas like you know if Amarosa was on the show and she and she messed up i'd be like yeah like you you deserve to have your you know your flan collapse uh like you evil person watching.
0: Like, I've, if I was watching Vanderpump and Tom Schwartz finally got his comeuppance, I would feel very satisfied with that.
1: Like... Right. And so, yeah, so the, I, I think there's, there's cultural reasons, but I do think it is the, the healthcare part really does play a role because the fact that you, you just so often see on, on reality shows, people people need money because they have medical debt. And, um, and, and that doesn't, in my understanding at least, doesn't really exist in the UK because of the... Uh, nhs so um so yeah medicare for all and then we can have nicer reality tv shows in america maybe um that there's one. your
0: senior thesis or your dissertation the <laughs> reality tv and socialized health care yeah
1: i mean that, i should have pitched that it's to like the outline when it, when it still existed they would have they would have eaten that one up um again no pun intended uh, okay so great british Bake off watch it it's on it's on netflix uh, it's definitely um uh, you know, with Vanderpump, you're kind of like watching it and like hate watching it at the same time. And whereas with Great Bridge Bake Off, you're just like, oh, I'll turn this on and just have a enjoyable, <laughs> enjoyable evening and learn just, about some baking techniques and whatever.
0: That's the aroma of cinnamon
1: waft over you. <laughs> it's because I have no baking skill whatsoever. It's just like, you know, it's to- totally alien to me. And so it's like learning things and especially the technical challenge when it's often a... Um, a dessert that, or, or pastry or something that I'd never even heard of before. And they're all, they're all making it. Then that's, it's just like interesting to learn about these things. So yeah, a definite thumbs up. <laughs> Great British bake off. Um, okay. I think that's all. Do you have anything else you want to say before we, uh, before we wrap it up? No.
0: I mean, I have further thoughts on Vanderpump, but I will just save them for, you know, I'll call you later. Yeah, they will. You...
1: They, the Patreon exclusive uh, after show will say what <laughs> we really think. About Stasi and Kristen and all the and other ones Tom,
0: who thinks he's such a nice guy, and everyone thinks he's a nice guy, but he is a horrible person so that's
1: interesting and that you that you hate Tom Schwartz and not the other Tom. what's the other Tom's last name
0: Sandoval no sandoval's fine he's a kitten. Tom Schwartz is like a <laughs> crypto fascist he's really secretly conservative, but he thinks he's really cool and open minded but no he's... okay well
1: let's okay let's save this for the after show and uh and patreon exclusive um. <laughs> And yeah, so, okay, so so that's Joanna, thank you for coming back on and talking about all these uh, TV shows and other silly things with me. And so uh, so you're on Twitter, people can follow you, and you're, you're a good Twitter person. Uh, what, okay. what, what's, your, what's your Twitter handle? It's just my name, Joanna May. Uh, M-A-N-G, and I'm on Twitter at RGACW. And um, so thank you to all of our viewers and listeners, and we'll see you again next time.